All right, yeah. I saw that. Buenos dias, huh? Somebody said. I saw that. You guys uh, really just enjoy that fellowship. She, she, what? Fellowship. We have fellow shaping afterwards, but fellowship <laughs> right now, yeah. Fellowship. Uh, okay, what is going on here? Anyways, open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. And I hope you have your Bibles ready because we're going to be doing some Bible thumping. We're going to be going through our, uh, some verses, and I'm hoping that you will follow along with us. As we are, yeah, get a little familiar with our, our Bible. We, what I've been trying to do here is, uh, recently is as we come to the conclusion of Ephesians chapter 6 is to bring to you a theology, a teaching of who Satan is. And uh, we don't focus on him because, like I said in our prayer, uh, he has no power. He has no power. He has no, no strength over us. All power and strength belong to our Lord. Amen. He has already won the battle. The battle is his. Uh, and all we have to do is just stand firm. All he can do is to entice, to lie. And we're going to talk about some of those things that he does and how he scares and uh, all these other things that we've come across. And so in, in, in doing so, we're going through scripture. I'm going to show you some verses and kind of help you see what, uh, what the Bible says about who Satan is, uh, what he does um, and, um, and where he comes from. And so uh, and, but before we do that, I just want to give you a, a quick brief announcement. Remember, our Seder is uh, coming out real, real soon, April 10th. April 10th is, um, we start at 10 o'clock at that time, 10 a.m. We'll be in the fellowship hall. Everybody is welcome. Bring guests. We are going to have a meal right in the middle of service. We'll have the Passover meal. We'll show how every element of the Passover focuses and points to Jesus Christ and where it is that we take our Lord's Supper from when Jesus observed the Passover with his disciples, what he did is he says, you know, this is, this is my body. And it's interesting that the bread that he took, the matzah, it was pierced, and it was called the, the, uh, the bread of affliction. The afikomen is the bread of affliction that was hidden in between three layers, and it was hidden, and it was brought out, and that's the piece that he broke. He says, this is my body, this bread of affliction that the Jewish people have been celebrating all these thousands of years. Uh, this, is, this is what God had intended for me to do today. And he pulled out that bread from this whole meal. Just imagine having a, somewhat of a, like a Thanksgiving dinner with turkey and everything else. And, and out of that, if this was the same type of thing, Jesus were to go in and say, okay, I'm going to take this bread right here. And you guys have always known this bread as, as the Thanksgiving bread. And I'm going to show you what this Thanksgiving bread is. And so it was, it was nothing out of the ordinary except for now it just came to a fruition, a conclusion, a point where everything pointed to Jesus Christ. And when he took the, the, the glass, the, the wine the, uh, of, of redemption, and he took that and he drank of it, he said, this is my blood. I want you guys to know this. this, this these four cups that you've been celebrating all these years, and this one here, this is my, this is my blood. This redemption, this cup of redemption, this is what I'm going to die for. So every time that you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so we're not going to have our Lord's Supper traditionally like we do on the first Sunday, which is, I believe, next Sunday. We're not going to have it then because we're going to do it all together on, um, uh, during Seder at, at starting at 10 o'clock. And so if you have not yet participated or have heard about that, I'd like for you to talk to either Ken or James. They have the, the sign-up. My wife has made out a sign-up for anybody that wants to bring something. And more, more instructions will be given on that day. Very simple. Everyone will be assigned to a table. And it's just going to be a really nice formal event. It's going to be a time of worship, though we won't be singing any songs. It'll be a time of worship, though we won't be preaching out of Scripture, but you know, taking Scripture out of the Bible. We'll be taking Scripture and, and applying it to our life on that one day. A very special day. Okay, with that said, Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to read from verses uh, 10 through 13, to, just to get us started into where we're at right now. And uh, in, in Ephesians 6, verse 10, Paul has said, finally, and he's saying, you know, I, I want you to know something. Uh, I, finally, I just want to make sure that you understand that you need to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Okay, I've already, Paul says, I've already shared with you on how it is that you are supposed to submit to one another, how wives are to submit to their husbands, husbands to their wives, children to their parents, parents to the children, masters and slaves, slaves and masters. And I've already gone over all the things that you need to do to be imitators of God. I've even said to you, you know, you have to, what you need to do is you need to walk worthy 
of the manner of which you've been called. And this salvation that you have received, it's a salvation that doesn't come to you cheap. It doesn't come to you just by any other means, but by through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. So Paul says, this, these are the things that I want you to do. Ephesus was a very, uh, well, I, for, for lack of a better term, a very secular, very paganistic, very over-sexualized city. And there was all kinds of evil going on in the city. And, and this is where this church building was at. It was in this little city that was just inundated with all this evil, satanic worship, and all those other types of things that were going on because of it. And Paul says, now you got to get out of that city. you got to get out of that, that mindset that you live in, and you need to be separate. You need to be totally different. And when you start doing that, Paul says, when you start living different, when you start to show and, and people start to see that your life is different, that you're being an imitator of God, that you are walking worthy of the call that you have received, when you start submitting to one another, you're going to experience opposition especially in the area of submission. Submission is not one of the things that we like to do, male or female. Submission is not something that we want to uh, give away to somebody else. When somebody disrespects me, my natural reaction is to disrespect them back. And when somebody says, you do A, B, and C, and I say, I don't want to. And so there is that, that submitted part of us that needs to be put in check, that will that we have that needs to be put in check and put in check by God himself. And, and Paul says, this is why I've shared this. And now I'm going to share this with you. Finally, I just want you to know that you need to do all this. When you do this, do all this by standing firm. He says, uh, in the strength of his might, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Look at that word. If you have a pencil, circle that. To stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle flesh in blood, but we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to circle this word too, withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Three times Paul says stand, withstand, Stand your ground. Three times he says, I want you to put this armor on, not to go fight, not to go into battle, but what I want you to do is to stand. Now, it sounds a little bit contradictory, especially with all the things that you may have heard and all the preachings and things that you have gone, uh, probably listened to and uh, some of the books that you have read and how to do spiritual warfare, how to, how to fight the enemy, how to battle, how to go, you know, people go to conferences to, to learn how to, uh, to fight these demonic forces that are all around us. But the Bible is very clear. When Paul says, I want you to stand, I want you to stand. And we're going to see this here in just a little bit as to how it is that we're supposed to stand, especially with the armor. You would think that if you have all this armor on, then what God wants me to do, he wants me to fight. But he says, stand. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you once again for the, the word that you give us this morning. This word that is just uh, uh, is now settling within our hearts. We've listened to it and we've heard it many times before, but we're listening to it from a different perspective. And, and, and maybe some already here know that, that we are not in the spiritual warfare to, to kill, to, to destroy. It's the enemy that wants to kill us. And he entices us into these battles and, and he lures us in because he knows that we aren't strong enough to do it on our own strength. This is why Paul says to us, this is why you say to us, Lord, that we need to do this in your strength and in your might. So, Father, help us to learn how to do that in our life. As you lead us this morning, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen and amen. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and so on. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know I've been trying to give you a theology of who Satan is, who the devil is, where is he at, what's he doing. And, and last week I shared a little bit with you. I'm going to touch on it again today. But one of the questions that comes up quite a bit is where did Satan come from? Where did he come from? You know, why do we have evil in this world? Who is the one that created the devil? If God created him, then therefore God must be evil because God wouldn't create evil, would he? If God created Satan, why did he do so? Is there two superpowers in this world? And I think that a lot of people look at it as, it's called dualism. In other words, there's two forces in the world. Two forces, there's the forces of good and there's the forces of evil. You'll see that probably in some of these 
pictures or cartoons that, I don't know if you remember these guys, uh, you would have this little devil on one side and a little dev angel on the other side, and they were both battling back and forth, trying to get the cartoon person to do what it is that they wanted them to do. And so it was always a struggle. And sometimes the little red devil would win, and sometimes the angel would win. And so we see a lot of these pictures. We see a lot of these ideas of who Satan is. Some people believe that Satan and God are at equal forces and they're fighting each other all the time. And so therefore, sometimes God wins and there are other times, sometimes Satan wins. That's, that's this dualism that seems to be very prominent in our world today. And, and for some people, some people don't take Satan even serious at all. C.S. Lewis wrote, you know, there's two mistakes that we make. Number one is that we don't take Satan serious. We don't take his position and his place very serious. And the second equal and greatest mistake is that sometimes people take him too serious, that everything happens because of Satan. And so there needs to be a balance in there somewhere. There needs to be something in there that you can you know, be able to hang your hat on and say, okay, this is what the Bible teaches, and this is kind of what I'm, I'm going to get across to you today at least. I'm going to try... And so, so there's this idea that Satan is, possesses people, just possesses Christians, possesses pastors, possesses churches, possesses buildings. And a lot of that comes from our Hollywood background. We see these movies, we see videos, and we see TV shows. And, and there's always a victor. There's always someone that is able to stand up, and with his own power and his own might, he fights this enemy either with the cross, with the Bible, with these incantations. Whatever the case may be, there's always one person that defeats the enemy and sends them straight to hell. And everything is over with, and God is saying, Well, very good, thank you, because I don't know what I would have done if you wouldn't have stepped in, in a sense. And so the movies kind of show us this ugly picture of who Satan is with these horns and, and uh, everything else. And we saw a little bit of a picture, and we'll see it again today, of this dragon that John sees in the book of Revelation. And he sees this dragon, and we, we've always had a picture of a dragon with the tail. And we've always seen this dragon, and he pictures him as a, a red dragon, a, a ferocious dragon with fangs and horns. And, and somebody added a pitchfork to him, and then they put cloven hooves on him. And, and so you have this... This picture, what people were trying to do is make Satan look as ugly and as evil as possible. And they drew these pictures, they drew these paintings and all these various types of stories that came out to depict that Satan is the enemy. Unfortunately, for many of the things that we see on TV and read in books and uh, paintings, it's not an accurate picture of who Satan is. So let's start off by saying, where did Satan come from? And if you turn to your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians is, you go to the, closer to the back of the Bible, just two, two books, Ephesians, okay, Philippians, and Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, if you don't have your Bibles, you can look up on the screen with this. In verse 15, Paul writes to the people in Coloss, and first of all, as I said before, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians are all letters that were written by Paul from prison. He's at the end of his life, and he is sharing with us a lot of the things that he's learned and a lot of the things that he's seen in the churches as he's ministered to them. But in my Bible, right above the verse 15, it says the preeminence of Christ. The preeminence, the greatness, the excellence, the distinction, the superiority, superiority, you know, if I can say that right, the importance. How about the excellence of Christ? He is the first, the foremost, and the greatest. And Paul says this is the preeminence of Christ. He says in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. He's talking about Jesus Christ, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. When people ask who created the world, Jesus did. Everything was created through him. You see, in the book of John, the Bible says that in the beginning was the Word. And it's very interesting that John uses the same vocabulary that Moses used in Genesis chapter 1. God spoke. In the beginning was God, is what, what uh, Moses says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And He spoke and He said the Bible says, let there be, and there was. And every, every day he said, let there be, let there be, let there be. He spoke it into existence. In John, thousands of years later, he says, in the beginning was the Word. You guys know this. But the Word was with God. Well, wait a minute. Isn't the Word God? 
Isn't that God's word? Yes, the word was with God and the word was God. He is God. And so when we talk about the word, we're talking about God. When we talk about the word, which is in here, we're talking about God. If you want to hear what God has to say, read it right here. You have God's holy, breathed word, inspired word in your hands. You are able to hear what God has to say. You see, and this is one, as we talked about last week, this is one of the, uh, the tricks of the enemy. It tries to get you to hear all these other voices. Everybody else has a word. Everybody else has a revelation. Everybody else has a, a new thing to say. But the Bible says, no, there's only one word. And it's God. As a matter of fact, that word is Jesus Christ. And what, what Paul goes on to say, he says, For by him all things were created. Everything was created by Jesus Christ through him. For, all, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, whether it's visible or invisible, whether it's thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created. Everything, and we're going to talk, touch on these um, thrones and authorities, rulers and authorities and dominions, because this is what Paul is saying, that our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. If you and I have an argument, if you and I have this disagreement or this misunderstanding, and if we get to the point where we want to literally just, you know, fight each other, kill each other, that battle is not between you and me. That battle is between all these forces that are in these, this heavenly realm that Paul talks about. They are the ones manipulating the personalities, the persons, the attitudes, the governors, the, the state leaders, the, the world leaders, all these things that are going on. All these things that are happening right now are being done by this cosmic powers. We'll see that here in just a little bit. And Jesus says he created them. The Bible says that he created them. And why did he create them? He says all things are created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. First of all, number one, top of the line, excellence. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, Paul says, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. You see, before you, come to become, before you become a Christian, the Bible says, and you who were once alienated. In other words, you were just not part of the kingdom. An alien. You were part of no kingdom, not his kingdom. You're part of the world system. You were in this darkened domain. You were in this darkened world. You are an enemy of God. He says here, you were hostile in mind. In other words, your mind hated God. And you, some of you probably say, well, wait a minute, I've never really hated God. Well, you didn't love him enough to do whatever it took to get to know him. And, and it's kind of hard to get this concept across to people. Those that aren't Christians, those that haven't committed the life to Christ, those that do not want to serve him, those that want nothing to do with God are enemies of God. As a matter of fact, people, some of you hate God or hated God because you want nothing to do with him. It's either you love God or you don't. The Bible is black and white. As a matter of fact, in Revelation, Jesus says, you know, I would rather you be hot or you be cold. But you're just trying to pretend you're warm. That's even worse. I'll spit you out. He says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. It's a very harsh word. I will spew you out of my mouth. If you think you're, you're doing OK, by yeah, I'm going to go both sides. I'm going to be OK. I'm not going to be bad, but I'm not going to be good. You know, I'm just going to be OK because, you know, God, he knows me. He knows that I'm a work in progress. He knows I'm not perfect. Therefore, I can sin a little and be good a little. Bottom line is, is that there's either you're an enemy of God or you're a lover of God. And your mind, it says here, you're hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. He's talking to the believers. He says, okay, this is what you used to be like. You used to be like this world that's out there. You used to be like all those people that, that just don't want anything to do with God. And though you may have said you liked God or you love God or you know God, you know, that, that's, I don't know what that really means in your life. Because I can tell you one thing, what the Bible says, that James says, well, you, you believe in God? Well, great. Even the demons believe. Even the demons believe that there's a God, but you're not going to find them in heaven. You're not going to find them worshiping God. As a matter of fact, they're all enemies of God. 
So there's something more to this belief, this understanding, this knowledge, this kenosis, this being able to, to be able to know, to know God, to be able to have a relationship with God, to be known by God, to, to have this. When you know in the Old Testament, when, when Abraham knew Sarah, this was this intimate uh, relationship between a husband and wife. When, when uh, Adam knew Eve, she conceived Seth. And there was this new, this knowledge. When God knows you, you have this intimate relationship with God that you don't want to do anything to hurt that relationship. Our problem today is that for a lot of people, we don't have godly relationships. We really don't. And it's hard to equate a good relationship with the bad. Every, almost every relationship is bad. It's very uncommon to find somebody that's been married 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years, and you'll ask them, you know, they'll, they'll, you'll talk to them and they'll say, well, you know, it, it, was always, it was always difficult, always has been. It was never easy, never, but we stuck it through. We had made a commitment. We committed our lives to one another. And a lot of people, they'll say in the middle of it all was Jesus Christ because he forgave me and he forgave her. Therefore, we can forgive each other. And we moved on. And, and so there is not this relationship that we can actually point to. But look what Paul says. He goes on to say, verse 23, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and earth, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Where did Satan come from? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ created everything. And under those uh, dominions, everything visible and invisible, either in heaven or on earth, uh, either dominions or rulers or authorities, all were created through him. And guess what? They were created for him. So how does that balance out? How does that make sense? You know, and this is a hard understanding because it makes people wonder, well, then why would God do that? Why would God create evil? Why would there be evil in this world? Why would there be a force that is so strong that it entices and blinds and captures and sets aside? Why is that force there? I mean, if God is all powerful, which he is, and if he knows everything, which he does, and he can do anything, why doesn't he get rid of evil? Why didn't he even just bring it in? Why did he even do that? And that's one of the arguments that a lot of people have. And very basic, very simple, and I hope you can understand it this way, is basically saying, you know, you don't know what sweet is unless you know what sour is. You won't know what hot is unless you know what cold is. You won't know what holy is unless you know what evil is. And the hearts of people desire evil rather than good. I've been talking to you guys about the, the, part of the, the times that we're in right now on how things are so evolving and, and just growing out of control. God has been taken out of the picture from the schools, from the courthouse, from the family. The family now has been the target. The family and faith are the two targets right now that are trying to get God out of the picture. You cannot believe everything that is in here. The Bible doesn't mean what it says when it says that you can, you're not supposed to do this or that. And the Bible is very clear. The Bible has always been clear. But within the last 50 years, the Bible has been under attack. And anybody that preaches and proclaims the truth of the Bible are considered to be preaching and teaching hate speech. And little by little, they're starting to get rid of all these Bibles and preachers. And, and so what will happen is that people like you and I, those that believe the Bible and have based their life, their whole existence on what God says, you and I will be considered to be hate mongers, uh, purveyors of hate, preachers of hate. And so I, I have to be dealt with. People like me and, and you, if possible, have to be dealt with. And the only way that we can deal with you is by making laws that protect everybody somehow and therefore exclude you, in a sense. And so therefore, if you are proclaiming that the Bible says this is what the Bible teaches, then you become a target. And eventually what will happen, I will be, and you will be, for those of you that are following are going to be persecuted, not because you're a Christian, but that's basically why, but you will be more of an enemy of the state. You see, the state has already made all these laws. There's a lot of laws that are in place, and they're putting, even, they're putting more so on the laws. There's, if you don't know, and, and I've, I, I want to just, just mention this, get on the web or get, on, get online, get on the Internet, and there, there are a lot of laws that are being passed this Wednesday, March 30th, 
well, actually, I don't know if they're going to be passed. They're going to be voted on. And they have to do with your freedoms and your rights and, you know, kids' rights. You know, they're going to take children and they're going to start vaccinating them because they want to vaccinate them. That's, that's what they want to do. You know, it, it, it doesn't... Why they want to do this, there's no evidence saying that, that's, that kids are even getting sick from them. But, you know, vaccinations is not what I'm against. I'm not against you getting vaccinated or not. You know, I, I think that many people should. But to take the child away from the parents and say, we're going to vaccinate them because they need to be vaccinated. Do you know that if you were to take your child, if you have a teenage daughter, into a, a jewelry store and want to get, if she'd want to get her ears pierced, you have to prove that she is your daughter before you can get her ears pierced as a teenager. As an adult, I guess you can do whatever you want. But in, unless she's over 18 years old or 16 years old, you cannot get anything done unless you have the authorization of the parent. Yet, they're going to do this within the school system. The school system has been used to separate the parents from the children and, and to show that, you know, we can raise these children by ourselves. It's going to be eventually, and this is another, this, these are some of the laws that are going to affect just, or being talked about on March 30th. There are the laws that are in effect right now that are working on that they're going to require parents to have a license by the state to be able to raise children. And if you don't raise the children the way we think your children ought to be raised, then maybe we should take your children away from you and put them into a foster home. And some parents are saying, yeah, well, thank God. You know, I don't want to raise them. For them, they're probably thinking that would be an awesome thing to do. All I'm saying is that there's this deception, these things that are happening even now before our own eyes. And, and all we're waiting for is a $400, $400 card so I can put gas in my, my car. So they were, you know, forget about everything else. And they're throwing all this money out. And everything else is done, being done behind the scenes. People aren't even listening or looking. People, very few people are even talking about these things. Why? Because there is a deception. The enemy wants to deceive and to keep you in the dark as much as possible. Because ultimately, what's going to happen, ultimately, there's this one world order that's going to take place. And the only way to do that is to destroy everything that's in its wake. The government, the schools, house, parents, and the church. Those are things that are in the way. Parents need to stand up and look up and start to pray up and pray for your children. You have to look at these things because, you see, what Jesus Christ is doing, the reason all these things are happening is because he has to come back. Now, many of you already know this, that he's coming back. And he's coming back right in the middle of when everything is just going to hell, literally. He's going to come back and he's going to defeat Satan. And at that time, after the thousand years, he's going to... Put Satan in hell. Satan is not in hell. People say that's a lie from the pit of hell. People say that Satan is in hell. He's in charge of hell. No, he's not. Hell is a prison that's made for Satan and for the false prophet and for the Antichrist. And it's a prison that he's going to be bound in for all eternity. And when that day comes, that's where he's going. This is not a party place, guys. This is not a place where you guys all get together and have fun and enjoy your time with Satan and all your buddies, all your homies. This is a place of torment, totally separated from God, that God has prepared, not for you, but for Satan. But here's the sad part. More people are going to be lovers of this world than they are of God, of the Word. And because people are going to love God, they're going to be saved and they're going to be restored and brought back and, and placed on this planet to live forever. And those that do not love God, the Bible says, they won't turn their hearts. It's interesting, I know when you get to the book of Revelation and all these things are happening, that the mountains are falling down, the, the, the sky is burning and the, blood, the sea is turned to blood and, and everything, all these boils and sicknesses and everything else. And people run to the mountains and they have a prayer circle. They're praying and they're praying, but they're not praying to God. The Bible says in Revelation 6 that they're praying to the mountains. They're praying to Mother Earth. They're praying to the mountains and they're praying, please save us, hide us. And they know that they're being attacked from, you know, by God because they, so, they say, hide us from the one who sits on the throne. They even proclaim him. He's the one on the throne. He's the one causing all this. Save us from that. Instead of repenting and repenting. And repenting, their hearts are so hardened that they would rather die in their sin and in their belief and in their deception. And when we talked about this last week, 
number one, I need to know who my enemy is. Okay, this is in your outline. I need to know who my enemy is. He was created by Jesus Christ. He was created. He was in the garden from the very beginning. Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. If, if you, let's go to that. Isaiah, 20, Isaiah 14, first of all. And if you have your Bibles with you, here, let me show you how to find that. Just close your Bible, put on your knees, and do this. And open it right up in the middle. When you get right up in the middle, you should land in what they call the, the writings. Uh, and, and so you'll land in Proverbs or maybe uh, Psalms. And then you go over to the right a little bit. You know, you, you pass Song of Solomon's and, and you'll fall right into Isaiah. Isaiah's, everything on the right of the middle of the book are what they call the major and minor prophets. And when you get to Isaiah, turn to chapter 14, and there is this lament or this taunt, I should say, about this oppressor, an oppressor, somebody coming up against Israel. And what's happening here is that this king. This person, we don't know who it is. It's actually, they believe it's, it's Babylon. And Babylon is being talked about here. And when you look at this, when you look at this story, in verse 12 of chapter 14, as Isaiah is talking about this prophecy, he's talking about what's happened. He's talking about who this person is, Babylon. And ba- Babylon in the Old Testament is the, is, is the person or is the city that God comes up against. So a lot of people have taken this portion of scripture and kind of referred it to the end time scripture of Babylon and believe that these two are the same. And so therefore, since Babylon represents the evil city or the wicked city, the city that is going to be in charge of everything in the world, and there is no real Babylon right now except for the system of Babylon, the, the hatred of Babylon of God, and the, the, the wisdom of Babylon, which is all false wisdom. And in Isaiah 14... What Isaiah does, he says this. He says, how you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. And, and with, that, with that portion there, a lot of people say, well, this has got to be Lucifer. Because Lucifer is the day star, son of David. And so they, they point this to be Lucifer. And to be honest with you, I really couldn't make that connection, even though, you know, a lot of people do. And, and so they say that, okay, since he was the day star, he must have been the brightest angel in heaven. And, and because of what he said, how you are cut down to the ground and you laid the nations low. And he said this, this day star, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Well, you know, there's really nobody else that can ascend to heaven except for a spiritual being. So there is an idea that that must be Satan. Uh, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high, I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to shoal to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who shook the kingdoms? Who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities? Who did not let his prisoners go home? All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb. But you are cast out away from the grave like a loathed branch, clothed with the slain, those pierced by the sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like a dead body trampled underfoot. You will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land and you have slain your people. Isaiah is talking about a country. He's talking about a city. He's talking about a king, about a person. And it seems to be that he's also talking about Lucifer. He seems to be that it's pointing toward this day star that has fallen. And so therefore, a lot of people conclude that this is who Lucifer is. The Bible isn't very clear where he came from, but this is an indication of where he might have come from, where he possibly could have been. Isaiah talking about a king, kind of like he talked about the governments, the governance of Jesus Christ. The only difference here is that when he talks about Jesus, when he foretells about Jesus, he always says, and and most of the writers say, in that day, meaning in the end times, he will uh, be called Emmanuel. He will have the the governance on his shoulders. He will be called the Prince of Peace. And so therefore, they're pointing forward to somebody else. Here, there is no pointing forward. And and so you, you have to kind of wonder, okay, if that's really where Satan's coming from. This is a verse that a lot of people use to say, that's him. Another verse is in Ezekiel 28. And I'll put these two together here in just a little bit. Keep going to the right from there. Uh, in Ezekiel, Ezekiel is closer to the end of the Old Testament. And you go to Ezekiel 28. And it's a, it's a big book, again. It's, it's pretty big. And uh, if you've gone to Daniel, Malachi, or to the New Testament, you've gone too far. Okay, Malachi is the last book. In the, in the Old Testament. 
And then prior to that, you have to go back a little bit toward Isaiah, because after Isaiah is Jeremiah and a few other books, and then Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 28 is another reflection. Uh, and this is, this is very key, because here in chapter 28, Ezekiel is talking, first of all, in verse 1, to the prince of Tyre, and then in verses 11 and on, he's talking to the king of Tyre. And so, therefore, they're looking at, okay, this has got to be probably a different person or somebody else that Ezekiel is talking about. And he goes on in verse 11. He says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise the lamentation over the king of Tyre. A lamentation is a cry. I'm so, man, I'm sorrowful. I'm mourning. Whoa, I can't believe that this is going to happen to you. I feel so bad for you. Thus says the Lord God. He says, You were the signet of perfection. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. So if Satan is a created being, which he is, Jesus, uh, Colossians, Paul tells us in Colossians that he, God, Jesus Christ created everything. Everyone, visible, invisible, heavens, earth, all over the place. And so if he's a created being, then if this points to Satan, Satan was the signet of perfection. He was a perfect angel. Uh, and, and so forth. And, and then at the last part of verse 13 where it says, And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. These two words, settings and engravings, have been translated into like tambourines and pipes. And because those two words have been translated in the Old Testament, uh, in the King James Version, and some of the other versions, they've been translated into that. And it's kind of hard to decipher, what does it mean? But when these two Old Testament Hebrew words were translated, a lot of people thought that it meant tambourines and pipes, or things that you bang on, really. And so therefore, because he had those two things, a lot of people say, well, Satan must have been the musician of of heaven. He must have been the choir director. He must have been the worship leader. And so we get a lot of understanding, at least today, that Satan is the prince and the director of music. You may have heard that. He's the one that is directing all the music, and therefore music is evil now here on this planet. Beloved, let me just share something with you. Well, first of all, that's very unclear, but that's what they use. Uh, if he is, I don't know. You know, I, I'm not really too sure. I couldn't find anywhere else that it would reflect that he was a music leader. But there is evil music in this world. And just so we're clear on this, Satan, since he's a created being, cannot create anything. Okay? Everything that is created on this planet was created by Jesus for Jesus. All Satan can do is pervert the man, pervert the woman, pervert the marriage, pervert the schools. Everything God creates, Satan just goes at it and tries to pervert it. Music, especially. Satan cannot create music, but he perverts it. The lyrics are what are demonic. The lyrics are what are more uh, satanic or deliberate to lure people away from God. Either it's music for God or it's music for the world. And, you know, there's a lot of music out there we were listening to. Somehow, something, we were listening to music this morning. And, um, and uh, we have this playlist that uh, comes on and... And I guess it's because of the playlist. It was kind of spiritual. We're sitting here listening to knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. See, I even know the song. <laughs> knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. I had to come out and say, hey, can you turn that off? I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I, I don't know how that happened. Could you just change that station or knocking on? Well, you know, it's talking about heaven, so it must be Christian. It must be. No, no, it wasn't Christian. You know, and there's music out there that just, you know, just soothes the soul. And it, it sounds good because music is meant to be spiritual. Music has always been a spiritual uh, movement within people's life. David was the song leader for Saul. Saul was being tormented by an evil spirit. And every time that David played his music, the evil spirit left him. And, and we hear about all these musics and, and things that, that we would hear in the Old Testament, New Testament. Music is a way that moves you. But, but see, Satan knows this. And he takes the music and he perverts it with his language. And so therefore, now if Satan, because of these two verses, these two words, is he the praise team leader? I personally cannot say that. People have took it and says, yes. I'm just sharing with you what the Bible says. Because I went through all this and I look back and forth. And I, I like to take it out of, in context, not out of context. Verse 14, it says, You were the anointed guardian cherub. I placed you 
You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire. You walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until righteousness was, unrighteousness was found in you. And he goes on to say, in abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Again, this is probably where uh, Jesus is saying, when Jesus said, I saw Satan being cast out from heaven onto the earth. And so they attached themselves to this verse here. Verse 17, your heart was proud because your beauty, you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuary. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you. And I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. Again, pointing to the future. You shall be. You will come. You will, you will be no more. You will be ashes. And so again, this is a picture of who Satan could possibly be. The fact of the matter is, is that we really don't have a clear understanding of where he came from, except for Colossians. Colossians says Jesus Christ created everything. We have to believe that he did so. Why did he do it? He had to do it for his own glory. And so we, we don't have a good understanding of who he is. But first, the first thing I need you to do also is I must realize who the enemy is. In Revelation 12, it's not really that important as to where he came from. People get so caught up in trying to figure this out. And it's not really that important to find out who he is except for realize that there's an enemy. And we said last week in Revelation 12, 9, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And so we know that he was thrown down. We know that he was cast out of heaven. When that happened, we don't know, but we know what happened. We know that he is called a great dragon. And the great dragon, he is called four things in this one verse. He is called that ancient serpent, what we saw in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, when the serpent came to the woman and deceived her. He is called the devil. The devil is another word for a slanderer, somebody that likes to lie, a defamer, a false accuser. He stands there accusing you falsely before God. You look at these people. They came to church. They're not even perfect. What are they doing there? Satan is saying to God, I can't believe you really want to die for these guys. You sent Jesus Christ to die for that man? That man, up the, that man speaking those words out of your, do you know what he's done? God's saying, yes, I know what he's done, and I've forgiven him. And so what Satan does, he accuses and accuses. That's all he's doing. He's up there accusing us saints to God. And, and, and then he accuses God to us. God doesn't really love you. you. He really thinks you're a hypocrite, Sal. He knows that you're a hypocrite. He knows that you say one thing, but do something else. And, and, and he's accusing God of not loving me. And, and that's how he's, he, he plays this. And he accuses each other. He accuses husbands and wives. He, he doesn't really love you. Look what he just said. And, you know, you said that because you really... And so there he is. That's what he does. That's what devil means. And anybody, and anybody that does that in a relationship is working of the devil. That's what he does. He loves to slander. And anytime there's slander amongst anybody, that's Satan. That's not coming from God. I don't care how justified you feel, how, how morally upright you are. I don't care how it is that you feel when you slander somebody else. Those are the works of the enemy. Look, he's not only called the ancient serpent, the devil. He's called Satan, the adversary, the enemy, the opponent. opponent. Satan means the opposer in Hebrew. He, he is your enemy. He wants to do nothing more but to kill, steal, and destroy your happiness. That's all he wants to do. And he will accuse you. He will talk to you like he talked to the woman in the garden. He will try to deceive you, which is the next thing. He's the deceiver of the whole world. To lead astray, mislead, deceive as many as possible. We looked at Matthew 24 last week. Matthew 24 is the picture of Jesus Christ describing what it's going to be like at the end times. And as I said last week, I get a lot of people that ask me, okay, Pastor Sal, what about these wars and rumors of wars? Or what, you know, earthquakes, you know, these earthquakes, there's famines, there's, there's pestilence, there's diseases that say that these are the end times. And if we looked at, if you remember looking at, at Matthew 24, and I'm just going to turn there very quickly if you want to go there with me. In Matthew 24, uh, in verse 3, 
The Bible says, and he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately tell, saying, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And in this portion of scripture, this is called eschatology, end times. Jesus Christ is prophesying on the things that are going to happen. Yes, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Yes, there's going to be earthquakes in diverse places. Yes, there's going to be disease and famines and all these things that are going to happen. But he starts off. He starts off with, Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. The very first thing that Jesus starts off with is, you know what? There's people out there that are leading you astray. They want to lead you astray. They want to tell you that this is of God. They want you to believe that this sign or this magical thing that they're doing is of God. And not only does he say this just once, look at verse 11 with me. In verse 11, he goes on to say, And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. You see, when we're talking about being deceived, we're not just talking about all this political stuff that's going on, on how people are lying and people don't know whatever the case may be. He's talking about in the church. He's talking about people saying one thing and then, you know, claiming to be so-and-so, claiming to be God and claiming to be, you know, something that they're really not. Uh, you, know, you know, he goes on to say, he goes on to say a little bit later, he says, uh, be careful. He says, be careful of, of the people that are out there that are talking to you because some will come in my name proclaiming that I am he. That I am the Christ. He says here in verse 22, and if those, uh, actually verse 21, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then, in verse 23, if anyone says to you, what, what, what I just read right now, he's talking about all the devastation, the wars, the rumors, the wars, the earthquakes, everything else that's happening. But now in verse 23, he says, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. The very first thing that happens at the end times is Satan, the great deceiver, the mastermind behind this whole thing, is he's going to start deceiving people. People are going to be flocking to these guys that can do signs and wonders and miracles. they got to be from God. And not ever using the Bible. Not ever using what, what, not even pointing to the most important thing. The most important thing that the Word of God has for you is not a blessing. It's not a healing. The most important thing for you is, is, not, is not you being rich or God helping you out of your financial distress. The most important thing is not helping you through your sickness and your sadness, though those things are very real, and I don't want to belittle anything that you might be going through. The very thing that, that people do not need is to be uh, raised from the dead or, or to be cured from a disease. The one thing, the one thing that matters most is Jesus Christ said this. He says, you know, how, how, how terrible it would be for a man to gain the whole world, yet lose his soul. The message of the Bible is the cross. That's the message. You see, when you hear a lot of whoopla and hooray and hurrah and all these blessings that can come upon you because of what Jesus Christ has done, and when they never talk about the cross, when the cross is not even mentioned, what Jesus Christ did for you, he died even when you were a sinner, even when you were his enemy, even when you were trespasses, even when you hated God. Even when, when you were just wanting nothing to do with God. I don't believe there's people that are searching for God. I don't believe there are people that are looking for God. I don't believe that people are, are trying to find God. Because first of all, He's not lost. See, what people want are the blessings, the benefits of God. But they don't want anything to do with God. I want to go to heaven, but I don't want God to be there when I get there. I don't want him telling me what to do, who I can date, how I can get married, where I can go, where I can live, my life. I don't want no one telling me that. What do you think he is, God? Well, beloved, he's the one that made the rules. He's the one that made the rules. This is his planet. He created it. He established the rules. He said, this is what I got for you. And you know what? In order to show you how gracious and merciful I am, I'm going to create this demonic being so that you can stay away from that and come to me. 
And I want you to worship me, is what God says. This is my plan. This is my desire. I am the creator of this universe. Everything has been created through my son. I even sent him to die on the cross for you so that you can be forgiven. All I ask for you to do is to repent. That's all I ask you to do is just repent. repent. What do you mean repent? Just stop doing what you're doing and follow God. Just stop doing what you're doing and follow Jesus Christ. You see, there's an enemy out there. I put him there on purpose. I put him there to teach you, to show you, to help, let you see there's a lot of deception going on. And when you go to a place looking for a blessing or anything else other than the cross, other than the cross and the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ and how he atoned for you and how he died on the cross for you, the suffering that he endured for you and how he was buried in a tomb for you and he resurrected for you. And if you place your faith in him, he's coming back for you. That is the message of the Bible. That's all Paul preached. Now, of course, in the process of it all, you know, God heals relationships. In the process of it all, God blesses you so that you can bless others. In the process of it all, all these things seem to take place sometimes for some people, not everyone. And some of these places that you go to and they tell you, you know, all you have to do is have enough faith, have enough faith, have enough faith. How do you get healed? Well, guess what? You didn't have enough faith. What can I tell you? You know, get away from me. Next. And it's just as simple as that. It's not a matter about getting healed. Last week I mentioned if it was about what these people preach, that you can get healed. And the reason you don't get healed is because you don't have enough faith. And then what happened to Paul, he had a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it was, but it was an ailment. It was a sickness. It was something that was hindering him. Something that was hurting him. Something that was causing this pain on his life. And he never stood there and, and tried to cast out this demon, this, this messenger of Satan. He never tried to bind this messenger of Satan that was sent to him from God. He never tried to, to expel or, or, or whatever. He was not exercising. I'm going to have an exorcist come up and get rid of this demon. He prayed and says, God, take this pain from me. Take this, take this from me. And after the three times he prayed, Paul says, no, you've given this to me to show me that I need to trust in you. And if you're going to leave this in me, then I've come to realize that when I am weak, when this is weak in me, that's when I get strong. I get stronger when you strengthen me because I'm trusting in you. So therefore, you said, God said to Paul, my grace is all you need. You don't need anything else. And I'm not going to heal you. I'm not. And in today's standard, if you don't get healed, then you don't have enough faith. So that means Paul didn't have enough faith. And, and you can even, and we talked a little bit about this last week, you can even take it a little step further and say, you know what, if that's the case, didn't Jesus pray in the garden, Father, take this cup from me? I know what this cup represents. This, this cup of affliction, this, this wine that we are going to drink, that we drank last night. And I told everybody to remember that this is my blood. Take it from me. I know that it's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. It's going to, I'm going to be on the cross. I'm going to be thirsty. They're going to strip me naked. I'm going to be exposed in front of everyone. Father, take this cup from me. And if you know anything about the story, Jesus Christ eventually was given over to be crucified, buried, and then he resurrected. So therefore, if when Jesus prayed that, did he not have enough faith? Because ultimately, God let him do what had to be done. Of course he did. But here's what Jesus Christ said. Here's what you need to say. Not my will. But what? Your will be done. Not what I want, God. Okay, yeah, I want this. I want this so bad. But you know what? Whatever it is you're going to do, Lord, in my life, you need to do it. This is how he deceives. This is how he's, and it is deception within the church. It's the false prophets, the false uh, apostles, the false Christs, those saying that they have come here and are doing this for the work of Christ. He is a cunning adversary. He is a cunning enemy. No wonder, the Bible says, for Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He's not going to come to you. He's not going to come to you as uh, the this demon, you know, with fangs, and all, he's going to come to you as an angel of light. This is going to be nice. It's going to be sweet. You're going to like it. It's going to be fun. As a matter of fact, beloved, you know, as well as I do, that sin is fun, right? I mean, it is. If it was a bummer, nobody would do it. To be honest with you, sin is fun. That's why we get caught up in it. But Paul says, you know what? It'll be fun, just like in Moses' 
Excuse me, just like Moses' time, it was fun, but it was only fun for a short time. And Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He is a cunning adversary. Look at the next point in your outline. He is the ruler of this world. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. This ruler of the world that God has placed here for a very specific purpose. To, to try to get people to follow him. Because God wants you to worship him. To love him. To come to him. To repent and live for him. He is, the next point, he is the prince of the power of the air. We saw this in Ephesians chapter 2. That you were dead in the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked. You were dead. You were dead. You were dead. You were dead. A dead person cannot do anything until Jesus Christ wakes you up. And I was dead following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's who he is. It's interesting. Somebody made this observation that everything that we receive on our tablets, smartphones, TVs, you don't need a direct wire connected anymore because why? Everything is in the air now. And it's just so convenient that Satan was put in charge of the planet and everything, and he's the prince of the power of the air. All the information that is coming to us comes through the air. And this is why we have to have, as we get into it next week, the helmet of salvation. We'll talk about that. We know that we are from God, John says, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He's a murderer and a liar from the very beginning. Jesus told the people in John chapter 8, you are of your father, the devil. God has children. The devil has children. God is my father. The devil is the father of the fallen. There's only two. Either you're a child of God, and not everybody's a child of God. We're all created by God. But either you're a child of God or you're a child of the devil. This is what Jesus Christ said. You are of your father, the devil. And, you will, and you, your will is to do your father's desires. That's all we want to do as children of the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of all lies. Beloved, here's another review. If you are continuously lying and continuously not telling the truth, even if it's a little one, guess what? You're doing the work of the devil. Anytime you lie, you're speaking his language. Just like when I speak Spanish, when you are Right? And I'm speaking Spanish because I'm Mexican. That, well, not because of that, because I learned it as a kid. But that's my native language. When Satan speaks Spanish. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes, sometimes I thought, thought me, you know, I can't get that language right. Excuse me, I didn't mean that. When Satan speaks lies, and when you speak lies, you're speaking his language. Just like that. Just like that. And you speak what he is speaking. This is why it's important not to lie. People tell me all the time, I don't understand what the Bible says. Well, do you understand not to lie? Yeah, okay, well, don't do that. Okay. I can You know, the part where it says, love your enemies? Yeah, well, the Bible says, uh, you, you got to do, do that. that. I can't do that. that. I hate your enemies. You know, no, if you just work on those two things, if you just work on loving your enemies and not lying, you'll be working on the Bible for a very long time. doesn't matter what you don't believe about the Bible. If you believe those two things, work on those two things. And the more that you read, the more that you're going to understand. He is the leader of a great force. Paul says in verses 11 and 12, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. Once again, we don't know how Satan is you know, structured, but most people believe because Paul says against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers, against the darkness, that these four must be a hierarchy. There must be different stratas of different demonic beings that have different purposes and different things that happen. You see, Satan cannot be everywhere at all time. Only God can do that. Satan does not know everything 
everything now, but only God knows that. Satan cannot do everything the way God can. Only God can do that. Satan has these minions all over the place. People that are in, that are rulers and authorities that are cosmic powers that are uh, in this dark and present age that are spiritual forces of evil. All of these have their specific areas of where they infiltrate, either in families or in governments or wherever the case may be. And people have gone to lengths to try to describe these and identify these. The Bible is not clear on where all these people are. All you need to know that Satan is the leader of a great evil force, and he wants to consume you, and he wants to consume your family. That's what you need to know. And all what I just said right now about where Satan came from and all these things, I'm trying to give you a doctrine, a theology of who Satan is, and all these things that he's been able to do and is able to do, all those things matter nothing. If you're living in his front yard, if you're hanging out in his living room, could Jesus come into your house and feel comfortable? Could he come and sit in your front living room one evening while you're sitting there watching TV, talking to your family? Could he come in there or is it the throne room of the enemy? Satan wants more than anything to destroy you and your family. He's, he's, he's in control of those that aren't saved. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the enemy. He blinds the eyes of man. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. And that's what he does. He blinds people. You don't want to see that. There's nothing here to see. You can't see that. Don't see it. Don't worry about it. Just, just keep moving on. You don't want to see what God has for you. It's a bunch of lies in Fairy tales. And you don't have to believe in Satan. You don't have to believe in me. He says, don't, don't even think about You don't have to worship me. Just, just don't do what God says. That's all. Yeah, just live your life. Be free. The great deceiver. He can only do what God allows him to do. When Job was on the planet, Satan went to go talk to God. He says, hey, what are you doing? Satan says, I've been going up and down the world. Just check people out. Does he notice my servant Job? Yeah. The only reason he loves you is because you blessed him. You give him everything. And God says, well, take everything from him. You can take everything from him, but don't take his life. Satan says, but I want his life. He's too righteous. You know, one righteous person can infect a lot of people. And God says, no, take everything from him. Yeah, okay. But I bet if I take everything from him, he'll start to curse you. I know he will. Go and try it. Took everything from him. Would not curse God. And then he came back to God and says, well, the reason he's not cursing you and the reason he still loves you is because he still has his health. He's healthy. He can get back up and start working again and do whatever he wants. You know, well, you go ahead and do whatever you are, but don't touch his life. You see, everything that happens to you is father-filtered. Everything you go through is father-filtered. Say that with me. Everything I go through is what? Father-filtered. Everything I go through is father-filtered. The enemy can only do what God allows him to do. And you'll start to think, and wonder, why? You can ask why to your blue in the face. As a matter of fact, God can even show up and say, well, look, I want to show you something, Sal. The reason this happened this way, I want you to know something. As you see, about, uh, about 75 years ago, before you were born, I started doing this. And, you know, about 10, 20 years after you die, this has got to happen. And you're kind of right in the middle of all that. And you're thinking, but why? It's still not going to make sense. You know what I'm saying? God is doing something beyond my control, beyond my sphere, beyond what I could ever think. The last thing I want to say is, number, is this. I must rely on God's word. I must rely on God's word. That's it. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord. In the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We're going to talk about the schemes of the devil. We're going to talk about the the pieces of armor that we need to put on. We're going to talk about why Paul used the analogy of a helmet of salvation, a breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sword, which is the word, the shield of faith, my feet shod in the gospel of peace. And why it is that Paul says, therefore, you will die, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and have, not, have done all to stand firmly. How do you fight the enemy? How do you? Well, first of all, you've got to have the armor of God. I've got to know what it is. But James puts it this way, the last verse. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. When you submit to God, guess what? You resist the devil, and he will flee. When there is no sin in your life, no anger, no hatred, when you're, those, those thoughts aren't going through your mind, when your heart is protected by this breastplate of righteousness, when your feet are in the gospel of peace, when you work for peace and you fight for peace in every situation, 
Even if you're not wrong, you fight and struggle. Look, we got to get along. This is not between you and me. This is between the forces that are around us. When you, when you stand in peace, guess what? Satan can't work. He can't do anything. He can't do anything to you when you're standing in peace. He flees. The Bible is very clear. He will flee. You don't need an exorcist. You don't need a bind. You don't need to cast out. You don't need to try to fight. Just stand. And with that, I'm ask you to stand. Stand with me. Mm. And there's more coming. Because you know what? You have to have this like understanding of who he is, where he's at, what he's trying to do. I'm going to share with you on where, where, where does he live? Where, do you, where does he reside? Do you know that Satan is right here right now? He's, he's, he's trying to get you to get your attention. And to, don't listen, don't listen. He's right here distracting. You know he goes home with you and he's in your home? You know this. You don't have to see fangs in the day. Anyways, I'll get to next week's message. Right now, beloved, all I'm going to ask you to do is to stand. Stand in the gospel of peace. But you cannot know that gospel of peace if you don't know the gospel. You're, you're, you're a tool in, in Satan's hand. You're, you're a pawn in this chess piece. You're, you're the one he's using to get across everything he needs to do. He doesn't need to possess anybody. He's got you, if that's who you are. He's got the slanderer. He's got the deceiver. He's got the liar. He's got the one that's causing all this mayhem and pain and anger. He, that's, he's done, okay, let me go somewhere else. And Satan is not trying to get me. Okay? He's got demons to take care of that. Satan is taking care of more important people. You know, he's taking care of governors and stuff like that and kings and whatnot. Presidents. You know, all, he has, all he has to do is send one of those authorities or those rulers or those, those cosmic powers into my sphere and, you know, just rile up my, my pride. And that's all. Okay, I'm done here. And he leaves the rest to me. That's called the flesh. We'll talk about that. But right now, beloved, I just need for you to understand to stand. To stand and say, you know what, Satan, you got no place here. Even right now, Father, as we stand, let's be symbolic of who we are. We need to understand, first and foremost, your gospel. That you said Jesus Christ to die for me, each one of us. We have offended a holy God. If we have lied once, we have been doing the work of the enemy. If we have had an impure thought, we have committed adultery. If I have used your name in vain, I have blasphemed you. And in just those three things, Lord, I know that I'm a, I'm a sinner. And I need to be forgiven. And I pray, Father, that this morning, that as we hear these words, that each one of us can stand and recognize what you have done on the cross for us. How you sent Jesus Christ to die on this cross to defeat the power and to remove us from this darkened place, to remove the blindness from our eyes so we can see the beauty that we have with our, our loved ones, our husbands and wives and children, grandchildren. Lord, we need to see your beauty, your love in our life. And the only way to do that, Lord, is when I repent. That's not a suggestion. I don't have to raise my hand for that. That is just a command. I must repent. Repent and believe that you did this for me. Lord, thank you once again for your word. I thank you, God, that you continue to show us, number one, who you are. Great and powerful. We can stand in your presence. And Lord, we can stand against the enemy, I pray, in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen, amen. amen. All right. We can for now. Come on over next door. We have some coffee and some fellowship to do. And we talk about a few things if you like. If you have any questions, amen. I'll be up here for, for time for a word of prayer. For you.